Hello there, and a very warm welcome to episode 5 of the Frantic Football Podcast on World Football Index. I'm Neil Shailath, and I'm delighted to be joined once again by Alex Barker. How are you, Alex? I'm good. It's been, it's been a little while. I'm sad that I missed uh, the dock last Friday. Uh, really upset by that, actually. Hard to forgive you over it, but I'm happy to be back on. Oh, uh, well, uh, ho- hopefully we, we'll get him again. Let's hope uh, there's more stuff going on in the Belgian Pro League. So we can get him back. Uh, But, well, this is uh, a Monday episode, a review episode, which means we've got lots and lots of stuff uh, to go over. We will quickly be rounding up uh, the discussions we had on Friday uh, about the big games, mainly in the Netherlands and Belgium. But we'll also uh, talk about some top five league action because there's been a lot going on this week. The Bundesliga is back. There's some stuff from uh, Italy and Spain for us to look into. Lots of other matches as well all over the world, which we'll touch up on. As ever, since uh, it's January, the transfer window, we'll talk some transfers. Uh, and at the end, we've got a special guest uh, coming on to talk about Everton, where Lampard has just been sacked literally a few hours before we started recording. So, uh, lots to uh, talk into again uh, on episode 5 of the Frantic Football Podcast. And let's get into things uh, after this. Okay, uh, let's start with uh, rounding up some of uh, Friday's discussions, as I said. Uh, of course, Doc was on uh, to talk about Anderlecht. Uh, and they did finally uh, manage to get their first win in four games. They beat bottom club Serang, uh, thanks to a great assist by debutant Anders Treyer, who we, of course, spoke about a couple of weeks back. He moved from FC Midtjylland for just 4 million euros, which to me seems like an absolute steal. And, well, it looks like he's gotten off to a good start. Uh, elsewhere in Belgium, that's actually another uh, big story which we only managed to just uh, touch on with Doc. But uh, Club Brugge are not performing as well as you'd expect them to. And uh, they've drawn yet again. Uh, this time, they were at Shalowa, uh, which is now uh, being managed by Felice Mazou, who was the Anderlecht manager uh, at the start of the season. Uh, but they could only manage a 2-2 draw. They did come back from 2-0 down. But now they're winless in seven games, which is their worst run uh, in 11 years. And Scott Parker uh, is the first uh, Club Brugge manager to fail to win his first four games in over four decades. So, wow, really bad times there. I mean, of course, the, the issues ha- have been uh, there before Parker came in. But he's not got a lot of time to turn it around. So you got you got to feel bad for him though, because uh, Michaela has scored two own goals for him now since he's joined, and <laughs> we just like ruined two wins. The poor man. Oh, well, of course, as you know, the Belgian Pro League format is such that the top four uh, points are halved, as as we previously mentioned. So really, their focus should just be in getting there, which they are still just about on course for it. They are still just about fourth, but they will need to start getting those wins really quickly because the sides behind them are catching up. Uh, elsewhere, uh, of course, we had the big game uh, in the Eredivisie, which we built up to on Friday, uh, the Classicer between Feyenoord and Ajax. Uh, this one ended 1-1. Uh, 
it, it wasn't the most exciting of games, which you'd probably expect for such a big rivalry with also so many implications uh, on the title race. Uh, a great score, a great goal scored early on by Igor Bekshaw. Uh, great shot from range, just his second goal actually for Feyenoord after scoring uh, his first just last week against Groningen. Uh, and uh, th- that gave them the lead about 34 minutes in. Uh, after that, Ajax seemed to have more chances as they searched for a winner and eventually, uh, sorry, an equalizer. Uh, and eventually that came through uh, Davy Klassen in the 70th minute. Uh, but then at the time, it felt like both teams were uh, happy with the draw. Uh, so it ended 1-1. The gap between the two teams uh, remains five points uh, as it was before this match. Uh, but Ajax have slipped down to fifth place because all the other teams that we covered on Friday around them, which is uh, AZ, PSV and FC20, all managed to win their games uh, and therefore uh, jump above Ajax. So this current uh, situation in the Eredivisie is that Feyenoord, of course, remain first, uh, but they only have a two-point gap now uh, over AZ. Then uh, there's PSV, there's Twente, and then there's Ajax, all within five points. So... I, I think it's one of the closest title races uh, in the Eredivisie for many years and also just uh, in Europe this season because there's there's five teams right there, uh, very close to the top of the table. So uh, I think on Friday we had uh, said that if we'd have the time, we'd try and get some predictions in. But uh, of course, we didn't end up having that in the end because we had so much else to talk about. So why don't we do it now? Alex, why don't you get us started? Let's get your top five in the Eredivisie in order uh, at the end of the season. Oh, that is fun. Okay, my top five is going to be Feyenoord win the Eredivisie. Probably should have started that last, but who knows? Who cares? It's all good. <laughs> Feyenoord win the Eredivisie. I say PSV finish second. Ajax finish third. AZ Alkmaar finish fourth. Ellen FC 20. Uh, no, actually. Do you know what? I'm going to go with Sparta Rotterdam finish fifth because FC 20... Wow. This might change your prediction. Twente have conceded nine goals all season, right? In 17 games. That's unbelievable. But their expected goals against is 16. Mm. At some point, that's going to drop. And I predict it will drop before the end of the season. Mm, That's a great shout, uh, shout, Sparta. Well, let's... uh... Before, before I make mine, I'll do a bit of cheating. I'll, I'll just say what uh, the 538 model says. Because I actually, there's some really interesting stuff there. They, they're giving, at this moment, Feyenoord a 42% chance of winning the Eredivisie, which I, I found pretty high, to be honest. Uh, then there's Ajax with a 28% chance. PSV only have a 15% chance. Uh, Twente just 9%. And they reckon AZ will drop down to 5th, below Twente as well. And they, they're only giving them a 6% chance. Of course, this is the 538 data model, and that's not my prediction. My prediction, I, I'll, I'll agree with you on Feyenoord. I reckon they'll finish first. I reckon PSV will hold on to 2nd place. Uh, not hold on. They'll jump up to 2nd place. Ajax, I'd say 3rd just about. Uh, then AZ and... Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you've planted a seed of doubt in my mind now about Twente, but I, I'll keep the faith. I, I'll give them fifth spot. So there we go. Uh, that's mine. But of course, who knows what's going to happen uh, in what effectively we still have uh, over half, uh, sorry, exactly half a season, 17 games played, 17 left to play. Five points between the top five is anyone's game. 
So the Eredivisie this season is sure to be really, really exciting. And of course, we will be keeping you updated with it uh, throughout uh, the next few months uh, in the Frantic Football Podcast. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's stay in Europe. Uh, let's go to Germany, uh, where the Bundesliga returned for 2023 after its uh, winter pause. And my word, did it come back with a bang. Some huge games, some huge results all over the place. But the very first one, uh, was a big game in terms of the teams involved. It was Erbe Leipzig uh, versus Bayern Munich, uh, third versus first, uh, and it ended uh, in a 1-1 draw. Uh, Alex was watching that closely. What did you see there, Alex? It was a really open game, I thought. I was quite surprised uh, by it, actually. This is, kicks off on Friday night, and the goal scores were Marcel Halstenberg and Chupa Moting. Uh, Chupa Moting has been continuing some really fine form. I think he was absolutely on fire before we headed off to the World Cup. Um, Serge Nambury uh, was divine in this game. I think it was, it, his assist, I believe, for uh, Halstenberg was absolutely outrageous. He like crossing on his weaker left foot from the far left-hand side. It, it was phenomenal. Um, Murciala, actually, surprisingly, had one of the quietest games I've seen him have. Um, he seemed a, almost a little out of his depth just by the chaos from Leipzig. Leipzig did try and press him quite hard, I felt. And um, they, they they had a very well-oriented press that kind of switched formation. So I think it was like a 4-4-2 and a 4-3-3 when they were pressing. But yeah, Musiala, there was so much space in the game. It almost felt like there was too much space. Um, like I said, really surprising. I thought uh, Simakon was actually pretty impressive as well, right back. I remember watching him at Strasbourg in France and I was always a little unconvinced by him despite his clear potential. Uh, yeah, he he was he looked like a really comfortable right back, and uh, that seriously impressed me actually. So, I, I think his home in the future will still be at centre back, maybe it's centre back at a back three. But this experience he's building on the flank is uh, only going to be good for his future. But yeah, I think it was a really nice curtain raiser for the Bundesliga. Yep, uh, and at that time, uh, of course, Leipzig were third. Uh, Bayern uh, temporarily extended the, their lead at the top to five points, but Freiburg were playing next on Saturday uh, against Wolfsburg. And no one could have seen this result coming because Wolfsburg thrashed them 6-0. What the hell happened there, Alex? Yeah, I was watching this game uh, while well, well, my girlfriend was around. So I managed to keep most of it on in the first half, less of it on in the second half. But every time I just carried on here with the commentator, added more and more goals to run through them. Patrick Wimmer scored inside the first minute. Jonas Vind, who was uh, uh, FC Copenhagen, he was uh, he, he arrived last year and he scored two. Uh, Yannick Gerhardt in midfield got another in the 56th minute. So by 56th, it was 4 0. And then Rudy Baku got one in the 80th, and Luca Valdschmidt got a penalty in the 94th minute. Freiburg looked absolutely torn apart. They got, they got quite hopeless, to be honest. So I was, I was shocked because they were, well, I think, second in the table going into this game. But there is a really nice young squad here developing at Wolfsburg. Um, you've got Jonas Vind up front, who I think is still 23. Uh, Patrick Vimmers in his early 20s, Alice Fe- as is Felix Nemecha, who's the brother of Lucas Nemecha. Um, I think both players came from Manchester City's academy, or they say you Franks as well. At the back, you had uh, Van de Ven, oh, a 21 year old Dutch centre back. He partnered uh, Bornu, I think is also another centre back in his uh, sort of early 20s. There, there's a very young team here, and under the tutelage of Nico Kovac, going to be really interested to see whether what they do in the second half of the season 
Yeah, uh, of course, they got off to a really poor start this season. There were talks of, you know, Kovac getting the sack maybe. But now uh, they've got uh, five straight wins in the league, uh, which is uh, their best run uh, since a certain Kevin De Bruyne was playing for Wolfsburg. Uh, and they're also unbeaten in 10 games in all competitions. So uh, a great turnaround for Wolfsburg. Now they are just uh, four points behind Freiburg, uh, who are now who've dropped down to fourth. Uh, so, of course, those are the Champions League spots. So from starting the season well in the bottom half of the table, they've, uh, they've recovered really, really well. And, well, maybe they'll be in with, uh, with a shout for one of the Champions League spots at the end of the season. Uh, elsewhere, uh, another big result was uh, Köln beating uh, Werder Bremen 7-1. Absolute thrashing there. Uh, Werder have actually been really good uh, in the first half of the season, or, or at least like before the World Cup. Uh, of course, they're uh, recently promoted. But under Ole Werner, they've been playing some really nice uh, possession-based football. Uh, taking, you know, not not shying away even against the big teams and, and getting some good results. But, well, much like Freiburg, I, I don't know what the hell happened here because <laughs> they, they they leaked seven goals uh, and looked completely outplayed. Uh, Kjorn, of course, also quite impressive under Stefan Baumgart. Uh, last season, they, they mounted a charge for the European spots. This season, they're a little lower uh, in the bottom half of the table. But uh, certainly, they look set to, to stay up comfortably again. And, of course, uh, this was a big result for them. Uh, after that, uh, Sunday's action began with an absolute cracker of a game uh, between Borussia Dortmund uh, and Augsburg. It was, it was uh, well, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how else to put it, but it was just prime Dortmund at times because <laughs> they, they, they had some beautiful attacking football, some great goals. Jude Bellingham scored a brilliant goal to open the scoring 29 minutes in. Uh, young Jamie Bino Gittens scored a third in incredible fashion. Uh, Giovanni Reina scored an unbelievable volley. I, I don't know how I don't know how he found the net from the angle, and, and of course uh, the tech, how he got the technique on the ball for his for Dortmund's fourth goal. But but they made life so hard for themselves. They they, they took the lead thrice, uh, but then conceded every an equalizer on each occasion. Uh, and and some some of the some of the goals they conceded were just really really sloppy defending. Uh, and, you know, uh, Bayern haven't gotten off to a great start uh, to the season. And I think although till October, maybe there was talks of there being a potential title race. But but w- when the sides around them do stuff like this, of course, Dortmund did come away with all three points uh, in this match. But overall, it's, it's yet another unconvincing performance from them, I'd say, which shows why they're still unable to challenge Bayern really for the title, even though Bayern has slipped up a bit this season. After that, there was another great game uh, to end the day. Uh, it was Borussia Mönchengladbach against Bayer Leverkusen, which kicked off simultaneously as uh, Arsenal Manchester United. But Alex was watching uh, Gladbach. What did you see there? Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I actually don't regret watching this over the Arsenal-United game because um, it, I've been following Leverkusen all season, quite a bit of last season as well. And when Xabi Alonso came in, I thought, OK, this is a manager who's probably... It's going to go one of two ways. He's going to have a nice short-term impact and then, you know, his lack of experience in coaching will die off or this could be a similar situation to Arteta where it's going to be a bit slow, but it's going to be a nice long rebuild. And, you know, Alonso proves himself as a top coach. And a third solution came up in this game, barring the final 20 minutes, which he hadn't accounted for, was look, Alonso had clearly used the time off to make Leverkusen a force. They were 3-0 up by the 67th minute and they'd limited Gladbach completely. And this is in a Munchen Gladbach side 
of times gone by, like last season, they're almost struggling for the relegation zone. Um, this was a game where this is a Gladbach side that, despite the fact they were without Marcus Taram, they've been very impressive this season. But Leverkusen, they there were points in the first game, where the first half, where they had morphed their back three into like a back four with the goalkeeper stepping into um, the defence and then having like, I think it was Kasunu pushing to right back and uh, Hincape pushing to left back or Baka coming left back actually dropping in, Frimpong playing more like a right winger, Diaby pushing in along Hlozek. It was a very intricate build-up, but you can see the intent. The intent is to get forward quickly, not by long balls, but quick passes. I really implore you to have a look at the uh, third goal. I think it was scored by Amiri. It came after some brilliant counter-attacking football from Leverkusen. Some wonderful move where lots, like lots of two-touch passes uh, occurred. And in the second half, they they defended like a back five. They're really good. It's it was just the final 15 minutes where they made a lot of subs. I think Callum Hudson-Odoi came on. He didn't really impress too much. And they started to lose it a little bit. Lars Schindel got two late goals. But I tell you what, his second one is one of the best goals you'll see all season. Have a look at it on Twitter. It's a volley. Instinctive takes him for about 25 yards out. And it's crossbar and down. It's brilliant. But overall, really good game for Bayer Leverkusen. And really promising for the rest of the season. Yep, uh, as you say, really impressive uh, from Xabi Alonso's side. You know, you alluded to the right flank and I've really enjoyed watching them there with uh, Kusunu, Frimpong and Diaby. Uh, and of course, uh, we should mention uh, they're going to add Florian Wirtz to this mix when he returns from injury, which is going to be really soon. Ah, he, he, he came on. He yeah, did I mean, come on yeah. during this game. Yeah, he, so... um, he had, a, he had a, a couple of nice touches. I remember he, there was a, quite a high loose ball that was traveling at quite a fast pace. I remember he took it down like in prime Wirtz fashion. Uh, it, it's clear. He said actually, the commentator has mentioned he played a friendly uh, last week, and he said he didn't play the full thing. But after it was absolutely exhausted, so I think it's going to be at a really slow, you know, bedding in. But you're right. When Verts gets added into this, wherever he gets added, that that's a, a seriously frightening attack. Yeah, it, it's going to be really fun to watch. I should mention, uh, of course, Alonso, before taking this job, was in charge of Real Sociedad's second team, their B team, uh, in the Segunda División. Uh, they ended up getting relegated. And uh, admittedly, I didn't watch a lot of them. But I, I saw some people on Twitter, I think it was uh, Jose Perez especially, who, who mentioned that uh, at Sociedad, he was trying to implement uh, a very positional and perhaps a little more rigid sort of style of play. But I think, as Alex said, at, at Leverkusen, he, he he seems to have given his players a lot more freedom, especially on that right flank with Frimpong pushing up and Diaby tucking inside and, and, and that sort of stuff. So perhaps moving away from his ideals a little, but uh, it, it seems to be resulting in some great, great football, uh, both for his side in terms of results uh, and, and for us, the, the viewers. So uh, let's, see, let's see how that goes. Uh, let's move on now. Let's go to Italy. Well, uh, there was a big game, of course, this weekend between uh, Juventus and Atalanta, but some big news as well, uh, because Juventus uh, received a 15-point deduction uh, for, uh, well, what was being described as financial irregularities uh, in, in their accounting and some f- false accounting, in fact. So, the, the, well, the club say they will be appealing it, but at the moment, uh, it's, 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 the case is not looking particularly good for them, so... Uh, you can expect this verdict to stand, I guess. Uh, and it's taken them all the way down uh, from being in the Champions League spots uh, to the brink uh, of the bottom half of the table. 
uh, this this news came uh, on Saturday, and, and then on Sunday they were playing Atalanta uh, in, in the big game of the week. As I said, uh, how how was that game, Alex? Yeah, it was a cracker on Sunday night, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't I don't know if you've managed to see the highlights, but it was one of those games that just didn't stop moving at all. Uh, then the, Atalanta got two. Like early goals, one well, one early in the first half, uh, Alamo look within four minutes, and then in the second half, uh, within fifty three minutes, uh, like you know, it just be- it felt like basically as Atalanta kicked off, Juventus was sleeping. But there's a really nice finish in this game from Arcadius Milik. It was his sixth goal in about ten starts this season. Uh, I know quite a few people wrote him off actually when he moved to Juve. It's like, oh, this is another sort of slower older player he's not matching more on the analytics what's he bringing to the game and I think he's blown that out of the water those criticisms he's had a really nice impact and I tell you what someone else to highlight uh I think he got an assist uh I think it might have been an assist for Milik it was uh Fagioli Nicolo Fagioli I looked at him I'll be honest I looked at him during the break and just judging off his heat map just judging off his statistics, he looked like a defensive midfielder, but in this game, he was playing as quite an advanced sort of right-sided forward, uh, right-sided midfielder, sorry, in Juventus' three-at-the-back system. And his cross for the assist was great, and he was quite happy to get on the ball and dribble at players. See, he looks like he was, he looks like he could be competing for uh, Moretti, uh, another young uh, Juventus player who's competing for minutes. So, honestly, if you took away the controversy off the pitch... As much as a divisive figure Max Allegri is, you know, I'd be kind of excited if I was a Juventus fan because there's some good players coming through. Same for Atalanta, by the way. Edison in midfield had a nice game. He's a young Brazilian midfielder playing some good passes. And Wacky Mailer got on the score sheet, which hasn't really happened too much uh, compared to his Danish form over the past 18 months. That's a good sign. Yep. Uh, and of course, you mentioned Lukman there. He, he got a brace. Which makes it now three braces in three games for him. So six goals in his last three games in all competitions. And actually, if you take that back to twelve games, I believe it's something like twelve goals. So he's he's in incredible form. I, he's in double digits in terms of Serie A goals. Uh, in what still what is the first half of the season, and I believe he's the first Atalanta player to do that uh, in about seventy years, is what I heard on the commentary. So he's wow. having an incredible season. And well, I mean, I'd say he's in the form of his life, really. And yeah, as uh, you mentioned, the Juventus uh, youth players as well. Of course, you mentioned Fagioli, Miretti. There's others as well. Uh, Matias Sule, uh, Simon, uh, sorry, Samuel uh, Eiling Jr. So, I mean, obviously not a great time for Juventus, but at least their uh, youth academy is giving them uh, something uh, to be positive about and something to look forward to. Uh, but, well, uh, let's move on, finally to Spain, where there were a couple of uh, interesting results uh, as well. Of course, Barcelona and Real Madrid getting their wins, but uh, we'll be focusing uh, on a couple of other sides. I first want to mention uh, Mallorca, who beat uh, Celta Vigo 1-0 on Friday night in in, in the first match of the weekend. Uh, That result takes them up to 10th. I mean, they they started the game in 10th, uh, and that result keeps them there and gives them a four-point buffer uh, to 11th place Girona. And they're only three points uh, behind Real Betis in sixth place, which is a European spot, which means they're obviously closer to Europe than they are to the bottom of the table right now. And they will remain in the top half uh, as we approach the halfway point of the season. Uh, And mind you, this is a Mallorca side which survived relegation by just one point at the end of last season. 
uh, in March of 2022, they brought in uh, the the new manager uh, to obviously to rescue their season, Javier Aguirre, a 64-year-old Mexican uh, manager, pretty experienced. Been he's managed, uh, of course, the Mexican national team, a couple of other national teams like Japan and Egypt, and then he's mentioned uh, he's managed lots of Spanish teams like from Atletico Madrid to Osasuna. Espanol, uh, Real Zaragoza, Leganes. So a, a very experienced man who, of course, uh, rescued their season last time out, but he's taken them to the next level this season. They they have conceded, uh, I believe, it's under a goal a game this season. And mind you, last season, they had the third worst defense in the league uh, with over 60 goals conceded. But this season, they've let in just 16 goals in 18 games. Uh, they haven't admittedly scored a lot. They've they've only scored fifteen actually. But 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 when they have scored, they've made sure those goals have counted. Last, uh, in fact, the last four games have only had one goal. Uh, two of them they uh, they won a one nil, and two of them they lost. But it's it's fine margins that Mallorca are playing with uh, right now. Uh, but w- with with this sort of a strong defense, it it looks pretty clear that they should be able to comfortably stay up in La Liga this season. Uh, elsewhere, uh, later in the weekend, there was another uh, interesting game which Alex was following, uh, featuring uh, Real Sociedad. Uh, what do you see there, Alex? Yeah, it's no surprise of following uh, Real Sociedad again. I've been banging on about them online for the past couple of weeks. They played Real Vallecano um, away from home at 1-2-0 the weekend. That meant even though Atletico Madrid got a 3-0 win, I think over Cadiz, uh, it meant that Sociedad stay third in La Liga within three points of Real Madrid and eight points clear of fourth place Atletico. And again, do you know what the most surprising thing was in this game? It was the fact that so they had someone starting up front, not called Takafusa Kubo, not called Mohamed Ali Cho, alongside Alexander Solov. It was under, and I want to make sure I get his name right because he's, he's grown up in the, the Basque country. Uh, it was under Beret Sierra, I believe. Uh, a 21-year-old who's been playing in La Liga for the past four seasons, going back to, I think, 1920 or 1819, and he's still 21. Uh, he's got quite a scruffy goal, to be fair, from uh, a corner at the back post. Uh, that was the second goal. The first goal was Alexander Sorloff making a really nice run in behind. Um, and it's a nice pass played in, I think, from David Silva off the top of my head. And yeah, <laughs> a very tight finish again from the Norwegian, who's back in the form of his life after a murky couple of years in Europe's top five leagues. So, yeah, Real Sociedad, again, keep watching them. They really are making a strong push for the third place um, and even, you know, climbing on the top two. And this is the type of success under Emmanuel Alguacil that's not been hit, like, since the 90s, or I think the 80s, when they last won La Liga. Uh, it's such an amazing project to watch, and I'm going to keep watching it. Yeah, by all means, that just so fun. Uh, I should mention though that second goal wasn't scrappy in my opinion. It was a beautifully worked corner, lovely <laughs> flick at the first play. It was brilliant. Uh, but yeah, let's let's quickly move on because we've got a bunch of other stuff as well. Uh, let's let's take a look at some other games, which I'll just quickly uh, shout out because we probably won't be able to discuss them uh, in great depth. Let, let's first go to Africa. A couple of big results there. Uh, in Egypt, we had the Cairo Derby between Zamalek and Al-Ali, the 125th uh, Cairo Derby in the league, actually. Uh, Zamalek have won both uh, of the last uh, two league titles. Of course, Al-Ali are the record champions. And, and this season, they looked uh, set to add to their tally of, I believe, 41. 
because uh, they beat uh, Zamalek th- three goals to nil, uh, and now they've got an eight-point lead over their rivals, who've actually dropped down to fifth, and they're also about four clear at the top of the table. So uh, a, a great result for Al Ali. Uh, elsewhere in South Africa, big game was uh, Kaiser Chiefs uh, against the Mamelodi Sundowns. Uh, the Sundowns won that uh, one nil, which has taken them up to 16 points clear at the top of the table as they searched for what will be their sixth consecutive uh, league title. Uh, so uh, th- th- that project is, they are, well, very much dominating the South African league at this moment. Uh, el- elsewhere, uh, we had uh, the Supercopa uh, of Argentina between Boca Juniors and Re- uh, Racing Club. Uh, it was held uh, in, in, in the UAE uh, and it finished uh, 2-1 actually in, in favour uh, of Racing Club. Uh, so good results for them to start the season. Uh, speaking of uh, the Middle East, of course we had Al Nasser, uh, Al Nasser's game uh, this week uh, weekend, which was Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, Saudi Premier League debut. Uh, th- they did win uh, one nil uh, to uh, Al Ettifaq, but uh, Ronaldo wasn't the one getting on the score sheet. It was instead uh, Anderson uh, Taliska, and uh, I'd just like to shout out. Uh, uh, our guy Ben Griffiths at this point because when the lineups were announced he said and I quote he said this on Twitter that today's the day Ronaldo realizes he's not as good as Taliska so uh, if you if you want the lottery numbers you, you know where to look for Ben elsewhere uh, let's move on to a couple of European games uh, the Swiss Super League was back this weekend uh, defending champions Epster Zurich having a terrible time of course they're at the bottom of the table Perhaps we'll cover that in some more detail someday. But uh, they had a decent result this weekend because they went 2-0 down to FC Luzern. But then off came uh, FC Salz- uh, sorry, Red Bull Salzburg, Loni uh, Rocco Simic, just 19 years old, uh, only moved there this, uh, this winter actually. So he made his debut off the bench, scored an incredible volley and then a late, late equaliser to rescue a point for Zurich. Uh, so they will be hoping to climb back out of the relegation zone uh, this year. Over in Greece, we've been talking about uh, Panathinaikos' title charge, and it, it, it rather seems to be falling apart because they lost 3-0 at home to Pauk uh, this weekend. That's back-to-back losses for them against this opponent because they're also playing them in the cup, and they've got the second le- leg coming up in midweek, so it's three straight games between Panathinaikos and Pauk, and Pauk have currently won the first two. Panathinaikos were, of course, unbeaten in the league when we first mentioned them, just a couple of weeks ago, but now they've lost two of their last four. So their lead at the top is just a solitary point uh, over IK Athens. Uh, and well, it remains to be seen if they can actually hold on uh, to first place and win the elusive title. In England, a, a, a really, well, a heartbreaking result for me at least because I regret to report that Blackburn Rovers have drawn a game. Uh, after 27 championship matches, where they did nothing but win or lose. Uh, they, they drew 1-1 to Bristol Rovers. So, unfortunately, they won't be setting the record of going a whole season without a single league draw. Of course, elsewhere, uh, some big games in the Premier League, including Liverpool, Nil and Chelsea. Uh, Erling Haaland scoring a hat-trick again against Wolves. Of course, Arsenal 3-2 Manchester United, which we alluded to earlier with a late-late goal. I'd also like to mention the WSL game between uh, Chelsea and Liverpool, which was abandoned within six minutes uh, due to a frozen pitch where players were just falling every other second, really, and then getting back up and falling in the process as well. Uh, you know, it's really just distressed, like just very poor to see that the game went even got 
even started with the frozen pitch because it was obvious that this would happen. Uh, so I do hope we don't see a similar situation again. Uh, elsewhere, let's move on uh, to uh, Brazil, where, of course, uh, the, the regional state championships are going on at the moment. A huge game in the Paulista, uh, where uh, Palmeiras uh, were playing Sao Paulo. Uh, that, that ended in a goalless draw, though. So, of course, I'm sure those two will be competing for the title. Uh, over uh, back, back to Africa, actually, where we've also got the African Nations Championship, which we've mentioned before. Uh, the group stages are ending. Uh, there's a couple of matches left, a couple of groups left uh, to be completed uh, in the well tomorrow, uh, and also when we're recording this on Monday. Uh, but uh, as 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 of now, as we record, we've got a few teams that have made the knockouts, including hosts Algeria, uh, the Ivory Coast, uh, Senegal, uh, Ghana haven't played, but but their opponents uh, are uh, Morocco, who've of course not turned up. Uh, as we've mentioned, so they uh, are guaranteed to progress, uh, and and Mozambique have also progressed, and and there's still a couple of teams uh, left, uh, which we'll find out tomorrow. So we'll probably talk about those knockouts uh, a little bit later. Uh, I I'd also mentioned uh, the Romanian Superliga game uh, between Farul Constanza and uh, uh, Ceferek Cluj that is actually ongoing as we speak. Uh, I believe it's currently goalless at half time, uh, so really could go both ways. But huge, huge game as I mentioned on Friday, uh, and, and yeah, I think that, that's about it uh, for the the matches we have got this week. Huge, loads of huge results, uh, and of course, we so many big storylines of which some we could speak about, some we'll hopefully speak about uh, in the future. But now uh, let's move on because we've got a good few transfers to tuck into. So uh, let's let's start doing that now. Right, transfers. Not a, not a lot of business uh, this weekend, at least among the big sides. But a few interesting moves that caught our eye. Uh, let me first start in Scandinavia, where there's been a good deal of business going on all over the place. Uh, first, uh, there's a departure, uh, which is Alexander Yeremayev, who was the top scorer in al last season as Beko Hecken won their first ever title in their 84 years of existence. Uh, he, he was being touted with a move away uh, for quite a while and has finally happened. He's gone to Greek Super League leaders Panathinaikos. But I saw that he's been loaned out for the rest of the season uh, to Levadiakos, who are also in the Super League, but, but they're down all the way in 12th. And, and that's a bit puzzling to me because, for, I, I mean based on the fact that he was the top scorer in also in Skan, which I'd say is roughly around the same level uh, as the Greek Super League. I'd expect him to play for one of the top sides. And of course, he signed for one of them. And I do think he could have been handy for Panathinaikos in their title charge. But of course, he's been loaned out instead uh, to help Levadiakos in their relegation battle. Uh, but let, let, let's see how he fares. Uh, elsewhere, uh, um, um, an interesting move coming in, which I quite liked. Uh, Nick D'Agostino uh, from Melbourne Victory to uh, Viking in Norway. Uh, I, I, some as Those who follow me on Twitter will know I've been watching the A-League for uh, quite some time. A really good way, a really good appetizer, I feel, on weekends before all the big European action. And, and there are some very talented players in there who I feel could do a job for, uh, you know, mostly these... Uh, le- uh, 
non-top five European leagues, but some who might even make the step up to top five uh, in the future. Uh, Nick D'Agostino, of course, a 24-year-old uh, forward. I believe he has one cap for Australia, uh, but, but a, a, a really promising player, I think, uh, for uh, Melbourne Victory, probably one of their key players of the season. Uh, uh, I'd say pretty all-round number nine, really. He, he can obviously get you your goals, but, but he'll also... He uh, linked up play well. I think the last goal he scored for victory, in fact, was an absolute rocket from outside the box, which I, I, I'd, I'd recommend you try and watch. I, I, maybe I'll try and find and link it below in this tweet. But, um, well, uh, of course, this is going terribly for victory because uh, they're down in last, as we've covered, uh, and, they, and they lost uh, this weekend as well to Perth Glory. So, uh, for them, this is not good news at all because they've lost another key player, even though, of course, they do get uh, some transfer fee for him. But uh, the best move uh, involving Scandinavia this weekend, in my opinion, was that of uh, Yasin Ayari going to Brighton, who've, who've done it again with another superb signing from one of the lesser-known leagues. Uh, uh, again, uh, this is likely one for the future from them. Uh, this is uh, uh, Yasin Ayari from OEK uh, in uh, Al-Swenskan, who were, of course, title challengers. They, they didn't manage to win, of course. It was Haken who did the job. But he, at, at just 18 years old last season, he was a key presence uh, in central midfield for them. I believe he had uh, over 20 uh, appearances for them, 15 starts, uh, and, and really just, just a, a very, very promising uh, central midfielder, number eight, as you'd say. Uh, I, I, as he's just 19 at this moment, so... He's obviously got a lot of development to do. I don't expect him to go straight uh, into the Brighton senior side, uh, even though he did actually get his first caps for Sweden uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, but I, I believe he'll probably be loaned out somewhere. I, I'd say, of course, uh, Union saint gilloise who, who are uh, owned by uh, uh, who, who are majority owned by Brighton in the pro in the Belgian Pro League would be a great option because, of course, the Scandinavia to Netherlands or Belgium and then top five league pathway is, is a proven one and it's, it's one that seems to work uh, every time. So a, a great signing for Brighton for just uh, six million was, of course, a, a decent fee for the Swedish side. So I think a good move for all parties involved uh, and an interesting player to follow uh, going forward. Speaking of young players, there, there's a, perhaps a more well-known one who, who's also had some, uh, well, sort of transfer news, I guess you could say. That's uh, Yusufa Mokoko, who's finally uh, signed the contract extension uh, at Dortmund. Uh, Alex has been following him for quite a while. Uh, what do you make of this, Alex? This is a, a really big moment for Dortmund. I mean, you, you covered him earlier on the podcast. They're, it's the same old Dortmund, the same old flaky Dortmund who can't buy a period of consistency unless it's consistent losing. And it really... I was reading an article actually um, in the Athletic today on Edin Terzic and the whole wider circumstances around Dortmund, and there, the club is really not in a good place um, with the fans, particularly, and with the rise of Leipzig, with the rise of Leverkusen, we covered earlier, they are in danger of kind of losing their home as um, being a team of you know great players and just being a stepping stone club, which is actually something a lot of fans fear will happen. Um, they don't want to be a team that young players go to for a couple of years and then move on to bigger things. So tying Makoko down away from a move to a team like Chelsea, who are really heavily interested, it's a really 
symbolic move and also a good move right now because in Alla and Anthony Modest, they have two strikers who are quite tall, don't really like to play back to goal so much, more aerial threats and more, they don't touch the ball very often, touch the ball fewest times in the side. Haller, Ajax, Modest at Dortmund. Makoko is a totally different profile. So he likes to get on the ball in tight spaces in the penalty box and find space for himself by dribbling past a defender or just like taking a nice couple of touches. And he scored six goals this season in the Bundesliga and got three assists. Uh, he's such a young, impressive talent. We all know his history, scoring hundreds of goals at youth level. I think this is a really big moment for Dortmund and they'll be happy if they don't make another sign and they'll just be happy they've tied down Makoku. Yep, uh, and, and I'd say good for the player as well because... Uh, well, whether they like it or not, Dortmund do have a reputation of uh, youth development and a great track record too. So, at least personally, I believe he's best off getting regular game time at Dortmund uh, rather than already moving to a top club. Uh, but a couple of other interesting moves. Uh, one uh, from uh, Turkey, uh, where uh, Vincent Abubakar has joined Besiktas. Uh, of course, Abu Bakar had to leave Al Nasser after Ronaldo came in because of the foreigner quota there. And Besiktas, of course, lost Wout Weghorst uh, to Manchester United. So I suppose a, a good move for all involved. And I, for one, I'm quite excited to see how Abu Bakar fares uh, as he returns to European football. Uh, a, a more interesting uh, move I felt from Israel to uh, Europe was Oscar Gluch uh, to Erbe Salzburg. Uh, I don't believe this is a done deal yet, but I've seen uh, reports saying that it will be done pretty soon. So I- I'm quite quite excited by this, actually, because uh, Oscar Gluch is, I'd say, perhaps one of the most exciting talents to come out of Israel uh, in the last few years. I admittedly haven't watched a lot of him in the league, to be honest, but I did catch him for uh, in the under-19 Euros uh, for Israel, where... In my opinion, he was the best player of the tournament, uh, which is saying quite something given all the other talents who were there. So I'm, I'm quite excited to see uh, if he does move uh, to Salzburg, how he fares. Of course, once he's there, he, he's in the Red Bull pathway. He's in the, uh, so th- there's real potential of him moving to perhaps Leipzig in the future or certainly getting a move to Germany. But of course, I'd say Austria is a good stepping stone for him uh, to come from the Israel, Israeli league. So a very interesting move there. Uh, speaking of young players, there's there's another interesting move uh, in Europe uh, going to Switzerland. Uh, that's Willem uh, Goebbels going to St. Gallen on free transfer from Monaco. Uh, what do you make of this, Alex? Because Goebbels is a player who once was a very highly rated talent, but it doesn't seem like he's managed to cut it in France this season. He is not, no. And this is a player who's the youngest player to ever appear in the Europa League. He's um, the first player born in the 21st century to appear in the competition. Came through at Lyon, then moved to Monaco. Those are two of the best teams in France, arguably two of the best teams in in Europe, in the world for developing young talent. And Goebbels has only made 17 senior appearances for Monaco. He made more appearances for Nantes last season on loan, where he hitched about three goals and one assist. And um, in the Get French World News, they've reported that he's just never quite been able to impose himself in the league. And then this season, he's been injured. He's been training completely separately from the camp. It seems like this move is coming at the right time for the 21-year-old. I mean, you've got to think, like, this is a guy who appeared at 16 years old in European competition and in Ligue 1. I think he's the fifth youngest Ligue 1 deputant. But 
now now five years later it feels like he's just been stalling and he's a name that I've I've really been fairly rarely been able to watch and it's quite it's quite a shame because he's clearly always had so much potential hopefully this is the point he'll be able to kick on with it yeah, of course, he joins us on Garland's side, who are third in the Swiss Super League, having a great season. There's one point of Lugano in second, so they will be challenging for European football, uh, and they, they'll hope that Goebbels gives them that push to get there. Uh, well, that's about it in terms of transfer news as well for this week. We'll, of course, be keeping an eye on, on the deals that happen uh, in the next few days and cover them in the next episode. But as promised, we've got a special guest coming on as well to discuss uh, what's going on at Everton where Frank Lampard has just been sacked. So, uh, let's let's get stuck into that. Right, as promised, uh, we've got a special guest to discuss what's going on at Everton. Uh, that's Matt. How are you doing, Matt? Yeah, I'm very good, mate. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm sure uh, you've uh, seen the news. Uh, Frank Lampard just sacked today after a really poor run of results. Uh, so, uh, let, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Everton. Uh, what's going on there? Yeah, well, it's been a very difficult season, you know, a very disappointing season, which, you know, we a lot of Everton fans had hoped, you know, it would be a lot different to last season. At the moment, it's pretty much a carbon copy. I think Rafa Benitez was sacked sort of mid to late January last season. And now we're going through the exact same thing with Frank Lampard. And it just shows that there's, you know, the club hasn't learned, the club hasn't changed their ways. They keep making the same mistakes. And unfortunately... You know, we're living and dying by that now. And, you know, it's not worked out for Frank Lampard, but I'm sure we'll get into it. There's there's a lot more reasons than just Frank Lampard. But ultimately, you know, he he hasn't been a success as Everton manager. What, what exactly has gone wrong with him, Matt? Because as people who may know you, you're a fantastic Twitter account, tactically, Matt. And I remember this as well, reading your threads on Lampard's early work at Everton. There was, it looked like he was really building something. Like... How has it fallen apart so quickly? Is it kind of like, is it been injuries or were the tactics kind of built like a house of cards that it just took the right team to break it down? Uh, what's it from your perspective in that mindset? Where did it fall apart and when? Yeah, obviously when he took over, he tried to sort of implement a style that he'd, he'd tried at, at Chelsea and, and Derby. But I think when he was at Chelsea and Derby, he had very good squads. In relative to that league, you know, Derby, he had Mason Mount on loan, he had Tomori. And at Chelsea, obviously, you know, a massive, massive club with an amazing squad. But he comes to Everton in a relegation battle, a squad with zero confidence after what we've been through with Benitez. And he tried to play a certain way, tried to play out from the back, tried this this style that he'd been used to, and it wasn't working. But to be fair to him, he quickly, he quickly changed and he quickly became a bit more pragmatic, made us more difficult to beat. But as soon as the second season comes, he's gone back to that way of trying to of trying to play out and trying to play through midfield. But the issue is, it's just it's completely not working now. We don't have a natural sitting midfielder. You know, he's, he's tried Onana there. He's tried to just a gay there, and they're players that okay. Onana's very very young. He's not played a lot of senior football. He didn't play a lot of football at Lille, and he's being asked to play this role which he's not really used to. He's been asked to play as a number six, looking to turn on the ball and play progressively. And that's not what he's about yet. He's very, very young and we're overly relying on him at the moment. And we've seen, it's an issue we've seen at Chelsea as well. When when Lampard tries to build out from the back, he's 
the the midfield structure is 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 so all over the place. And I've done a few screenshots on, on Twitter, and a lot of lads have come back from me, Chelsea fans, showing me exact, pretty much mirror images from his Chelsea days, where you know his central midfielders are out wide, his his striker and wingers are all so far up the pitch where it's just like a massive circle of players and there's nothing in the middle. And it's become very evident over the last the last sort of few months that he's he's not really able to structure a midfield properly. And the issue we have as well, we have two central defenders who aren't probably the slowest in the league. So they're dropping really deep. Other midfielders are playing really high and you've got this massive gap for teams to exploit. And we've become so easy to play against. It's, it's ridiculous. And ultimately, it's, it's what failed for him. And, you know, he's, he's not been helped. He's not been helped by by finances and off the field issues. But, you know, we need now a manager that can deal with these things and, and ultimately just get it right on the pitch. I was going to say, I haven't, well, once I was you, Neil, quickly, but I haven't watched a lot of Everton. Neil, have you watched a lot? I, I've watched a bit, to be honest, especially of late. But uh, I think I think the main thing I saw recently, of course, he switched to the back five. Am, am I right? Mm-hmm. He switched that, right? I think after the yeah, World Cup. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He has, he has recently, yeah. And yeah, I, I, say, I'm sorry, go on. Go on, go on. I mean, I, I thought initially it looked good, but then uh, defensively that looks fine. But then in possession with that back five, they don't, Everton didn't seem great. And then mm-hmm. in, in transition, it, it looked terrible. Like that. Uh, their yeah. best defense is just really poor. I was just going to say because I've I've not watched Everton really at all, but uh, and before we came on, it was like we'll get into the last couple of questions, obviously. But before you came on, Matt, I was really of the perspective of Everton have just kind of, you know, Lampard's probably not the best manager, but it sounds like Everton have probably done him over because Everton are a bit not I don't want to say rotten, but. No, rotten, right. rotting, right. rotten from inside yeah. and out. But the way you spoke, this sounds ex- like you said exactly like what happened at Chelsea. I think that's damning on Frank Lampard, to be honest. So now he's gone. Before we ask, you know, we we get into realism. Let's put you to dreamland. Who would be your dream candidate right now for the Everton job? And obviously, don't come with a Pep Guardiola. I know, I know, you wouldn't <laughs> do that anyway. But like, if you could feasibly get you know if if your board was intelligent enough and bold enough to approach any manager at the right level who would it be well the thing is with, with Everton we 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 are still quite and maybe not now but over the last few years even when we're struggling we're still able to attract managers and players you know we brought in Carlo Ancelotti we brought Hamas Rodriguez to the club I mean who would have ever thought that ever like Carlo Ancelotti you know he's a Champions League winning manager managing Everton football club so there is still this attraction because of the history, the fan base, it's a team that have been have never been relegated from the top from the Premier League. There, there is still a, a somewhat attraction. So in terms of realistic appointments, obviously we're in a position now which we've not been in for a long time. So a majority of managers are going to look at it and go, yeah, no, thank you. But in terms of maybe a slightly unrealistic, but not too unrealistic appointment, for me would maybe be someone like Thomas Tuchel. You know, <laughs> as as much as much as it is unrealistic, but you know, it's not Pep Guardiola. You know, he's out of management at the moment. But I think what we need is right now is we need a a, a, a tactically heavy manager, a tactically astute, but with a bit of a bite to him. You know, we've seen with Tuchel, he's he's fallen out with players in the past because of you know how high his demands are. We, you see him on the sidelines, so passionate. We saw it with uh, 
the little spat with Conte. You know, we've, see, we've seen it so much for Tuchel where he's got that passion and I think he would demand so much from our players, which is so necessary. Lampard's a lovely guy. He, he really took to the fan base, the, the culture of Everton Football Club and we can't thank him enough for that. But he may be a bit too much of a nice guy. He's not demanding enough from these players. So I think a, a manager who's in between, you know, you could go out and get a Sam Allardyce who's going to grill the players or a Duncan Ferguson but they may not have the tactic, the tactical nows that's sort of a two Sherwood. So I think finding a manager in between those mm. would would be the perfect dream candidate for me. I mean, you mentioned Allardyce there, like to bring you mm. back down to reality. And I'm sorry to do that because it's probably a depressing <laughs> one. Like, would Allardyce be high up on the the potential targets at the moment? I saw I saw links to Marcelo Bielsa, which is maddening to me. I couldn't believe that. Are you all on Bielsa hype right now, or are you thinking more get Sean Dyche in? Yeah, it, it's it's so difficult right now. You you're so torn between do we get a manager of Dyche's caliber who's going to make us more difficult to beat, but maybe it's not a long term solution. Maybe it's not the prettiest, or do you take a massive risk? You know, Bielsa personally, I think is a massive risk, mainly because, like I've mentioned, he he demands a lot from his players, but a lot physically and. We have got a lot of players who, personally, I think aren't up to that. We've got Dominic Cavalier for a starters, who was our main striker, who <laughs> struggles to stay fit. And I can just imagine one training session under Bielsa, and who that would finish him. I think he'd just retire after that. So, yeah, Bielsa, I think, isn't the most realistic option for us. But you know, David Ornstein's already reported that we've already held talks with him. So. You know, maybe that's that's the route they wanted to go down, a manager to come in and, and demand loads from these players. Look, they're physical, uh, professional athletes at the end of the day. They should be able to cope with it. But personally, I just can't see it from watching watching Everton, you know, over the last few years. Yeah, and well, while you're here, uh, let's also just talk a bit uh, in a broader context because... I think I think most people know that, and I think you'll agree that there's more than just the manager, uh, which is perhaps the issue at Everton. So, so could you just give us a bit of context about uh, what all's gone on and how Everton have come all the way down into this relegation battle? Yes, look, a lot of uh, people from the outside looking in will look at Everton and they see Fire Mashiri has spent all this money. Oh, why aren't you grateful for this money that that he spent? He spent hundreds and hundreds of millions. Spent 700 million on a brand new stadium, which is looking absolutely amazing already. But it's like a little kid going into a sweet shop and his dad's giving him, giving him his credit card. He's gone, I want that, I want that, I want that. And he signed all of these players. I can reel off so many names. For example, Theo Walcott, Cenk Tosin, Jean-Philippe Gabamin, players that are costing 20 to 30 million and we've had to let go on free transfers. That's not sustainable. Players like Alan coming in for 30 million at the age of, you know, 29, 30, no resale value. There's no plan in place. These players are being bought for heavy transfer fees and we're not recouping any fees back. Then you've got the issue of the board at the moment. We've got Bill Kemright, Graham Sharp, Denise Barrett-Baxendale. We've got the smallest board in the Premier League, but there's reports that it's the fourth highest paid in the Premier League. Graham Sharp has never, you know, his experience in football is minimal. Why is he being given a job on the board? It's because he's an Everton legend. You know, he's played for Everton. 
He's been around the club for years. But we need footballing people in these roles. We need people who understand the game, the ins and outs, the financial side, the recruitment side. We currently don't have a, an official head of recruitment. Kevin Fowler is having to deal with all of these issues by himself. So I do, I feel so, so sorry for him. He gets a lot of stick because we've made some poor signings in the last year, McNeil, Mope, but he's had to deal with so, so much. And the problems aren't just the manager. And, you know, we've we've seen off Marco Silva, Roberto Martinez, uh, Carlo Ancelotti obviously left for Real Madrid, but Frank Lampard, Rafa Benitez, all these managers, they can't all be wrong. There's so many more problems at Everton Football Club. And the issue we've got now is we've spent the money. There's no real turning back. And we're now in a position where we're having to loan players. We're having to potentially sell off Anthony Gordon, Amadou Inanna, Jordan Pickford to try and just simply survive. So, yeah, there is so many more problems than the manager, which a lot of people won't even realise. Yeah, well, uh, thanks a lot for your time, Matt. Uh, really appreciate your insights. Of course, Everton are currently in the relegation zone. Uh, two points from safety, three points from 14th place, though. So, uh, it could go anywhere, really, uh, because there's a really tight relegation battle this season uh, in the Premier League. So, that'll be another thing to follow. Uh, but th- that's about it uh, for this episode of the Frantic Football Podcast. Uh, many thanks for tuning in. Of course, we'll be back uh, on Friday. Uh, we'll obviously be previewing the weekend's action mostly, but we do have some games in midweek. We've got a full round of Bundesliga fixtures, full round of Eredivisie fixtures as well, and some cups uh, in England, Spain, and Portugal, among others. And we've also got a quick announcement uh, to make because we will be reviving the World Football Index Patreon uh, from February. So uh, billings will resume from February and going forward, we will start uh, to have some exclusive content uh, on there. So if you can, and if you are interested, uh, do sign up. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put the link to that uh, as well uh, below the tweet for this uh, episode of the podcast. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Uh, big thanks to Alex uh, for your time. Big thanks to Matt as well. Uh, and uh, see you on Friday. Uh, until then, uh, enjoy the football.